And now, more Educate on TalkZone.com. Here's Jonathan Jefferson. Welcome back. Welcome back. Welcome back to the show and our continued discussion on the topic of creative writing. My next guest is Clifford Schrage, Jr., Clifford Schrag Jr. is a published novelist of A Fruitful Field and Silas Dillon of Cary County, a published poet and essayist, a former chaplain of a parochial high school for six years, a high school English teacher, and former department chair. He has coached high school soccer for 10 years and is the father of eight children, two biological and six adopted, both foreign and domestic, and has been a foster father for seven years to six foster children. He has also encountered the trauma of losing a child in death following all the jarring experiences of an enduring terminal illness. He lives on eastern Long Island, and in the summertime, he lives on Prince Edward Island in Canada. Cliff, welcome to the show. Well, thank you, Jonathan. Well, I greatly appreciate you being here, and I I appreciate the fact that you uh, share so openly with with regards to your family. I appreciate the invitation, and I love to share that way. Thank you. Well, yeah. let's let's start. I, you may have heard some of my uh, conversation with my first guest, uh, Laura Thomas. Uh, how, end, yep. yep. So how long have you been teaching English? I'm teaching. Uh, this is my 27th year. It's um, yeah, 27 years this year. Okay. Enjoying it. Um, I'd say 90 percent of it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> those those cold snowy days when you have to trek in might not be too enjoyable. Um, now, how long have you been teaching creative writing, or how often do you touch on creative writing? Well, I think uh, out of the 27 years, I, I think it's been about 20 that I've taught creative writing as an elective, having at least uh, one of five sections. But I, you know, for the for the whole time, I think I've attempted to incorporate it somehow into every curriculum. Okay. So, yeah, that's that's how I do it. And what do you enjoy about it? You know, um, I think what I enjoy most about it, probably just being a teacher, uh, I I have this quest to be understood. Uh, I enjoy explaining new things to kids, and I this you know this teacher's desire, I guess, to make things plain and, and understandable. You know, a lot of high school teaching is like pulling teeth, uh, you know, twisting arms, a lot of coaxing, (laughs) warning, as you know. Yes. But uh, teaching in the arts, teaching creative writing, you know, in most cases is different. We're not required to, uh, you know, be cajoling that way as much. There's a little more uh, comfort, I think, for the student uh, right in this capacity. At least I find that. You know, students in New York high schools are used to, you know, being stuck with the grammar only and vocabulary building and uh, preparing for, you know, the regents and writing about what other authors have to say, writing about liter- literary elements and, um, you know, demonstrating reading comprehension, you know, through their re- written expression. And it, it can get tiring. And I find, you know, teaching creative writing at the end, you know, to 12th graders, kind of like a breath of fresh air for uh, both teacher and student. Okay. Now, is the uh, curriculum you use for creative writing, is that your own curriculum? Um, it, it is. 
Um, when I, uh, you know, design a course, like for instance this course, I want to touch on the three basic genres, uh, poetry, um, prose, mostly fiction writing, and drama. You know, and I, I want the course to be uh, more of an appetizer. I teach it as a half-year semester, one-semester course for a half year. Mm-hmm. Um, I have an expectation that's, you know, really as much of an introductory creative writing course level for undergraduate college classes. I uh, want the kids to write at least 15,000 words, uh, again, in the three genres. I start with um, prose and fiction. Um, I go through poetry, the whole gamut from, you know, uh, traditional verse. They try their hand at some of the different forms and then, um, of course, uh, free verse. And, you know, I want them to distinguish poetry from prose. It's not just stanza form and instead of a paragraph and it's not rhyme exclusively. There's a lot of ingredients. So it's a challenge to them. They learn and they learn to uh, appreciate, you know, written poetry more through it, through the process of uh, writing, you know, uh, the finest uh, verse. Um, Yeah. So uh, lastly, I'll have them write a one act play and and that can be a challenge too, because they're confined to one set, one setting and they have to develop their character through dialogue. There's no uh, comfort of a narrator. So uh, they get a, a good introductory touch of all three genres. And um, I do have all my own assignments, so I'd, I'd call that my own curriculum, yeah. Okay. Now, do, do are you so often surprised by what students come up with, or is it few and far between that actually, you know, amaze you with their abilities? Well, honestly... Um, a lot of the students I have especially been finding of late, you know, discover things that they can do that they didn't know they could do. And um, it surprises them. Um, There are some real surprises. In fact, I I have to humble myself and say it hurts when some of my writers write better than me. (laughs) I'll tell them that, too. So, yeah, that, that does surprise me. Okay. And, um, you know, I happen to know you teach a lot of, um, close to the city. You teach a lot of inner city kids, a lot of African American and Latino kids. Mm-hmm. Do they tend to bring their culture into it? Do they tend to bring in, uh, hip hop and, 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 uh, other things from their culture into their writing? And do you encourage that? I do to get them comfortable. And that's how they start with, uh, especially the fiction writing. But then I want to force them away uh, to challenge them, take them into, a, you know, a historical setting. they got to write one historical piece. And then science fiction and fantasy and uh, a cultural piece where they go to another culture. A lot of them are connected with that because they come from different parts of the world. So that helps. But, yeah, I, I want them, you know, to come away and force themselves to use a little bit of imagination. And they they find that pleasant too. They okay. uh, they they might buck a little bit, but um, you'll find that some of the you know human nature is um, you know replicated in both anyway. Mm-hmm. 
Now, now, if few students will become professional writers, uh, it's just like a lot of students will say, you know, why am I doing this particular geometry or math? When am I ever going to use it? Um, what is the long-term benefit of, of students learning creative writing? Well, um, the benefits, you know, it's true. Few are going to become professional novelists or poets or playwrights. Um, but the benefits are they will increase in appreciation literature, I find, not by as much reading literature, but by producing it themselves, by creating their own, you know, poetry, um, their own, you know, elements of lit, putting a character in a conflict. So, the, you know, what's the benefit for, for a high school who is in the art class or the musician or the mm -hmm. athlete? You know, none of them, few of them, a small percentage are going to be professional athletes, musicians, or artists. But um, it's the art and the music and sports and literature that, um, as we know, makes life worth living to a large degree. And um, it's a good good launching pad. Mm-hmm. And, um, and what, what genre do you feel the students enjoy writing in the most? Um. I think um, they enjoy the fiction writing. You know, most seem to get involved with developing their characters and uh, putting them into conflicts and, you know, being forced to, to bring resolutions to their stories. Some enjoy, mm. you know, creating even the descriptive setting, the stage, you know, whether it's historical setting or another cultural or science fictional or fantasy or, you know, their own backyards, once most young writers get a plot going, they can really get lost into it and they surprise themselves with the uh, quantity they can write. Once uh, once a student told me he really got into it so much that he dreamed about his characters. So, wow. Um, yeah, I think that is their most, you know, enjoyable. A lot of them like to write poetry, but they once they realize what really qualifies writing to be called poetry, that can be a little painful and, and maybe even, you know, discouraging. Um, yeah, so so that's about that. Now, do you notice a difference, having taught for over 20 years, do you notice a difference from students when you first started uh, teaching to now, or, or are kids pretty much the same? And kids are the same, I think. Human beings are the same. And, um, you know, expectations have risen, and teachers, for the most part, communicate that to kids. And I think they, for the most part, step up to the plate. And, and um, I, I don't see a decline. I, I would have to say I'd see an incline. That's great. Yeah, that's, 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 my, uh, that's my view. And, and, and it's, it's nice to hear a teacher say that because so often we get uh, grounded or, or ground down by the negative mm -hmm. that, we, that we forget that the kids are bringing a lot of positive to the table as well. Well, yeah, and that, uh, that's another challenge for me is, you know, what you mentioned, the, the criticism. You know, mm -hmm. I feel that, you know, teaching this, you know, I, I've got to be careful uh, to be positive for every so-called uh, negative criticism, I'll call it a suggestion to make a change. Mm -hmm. I have to give some positive. I got to find uh, something uh, positive. 
and let's face it, when when they're serious about creating, building something, you know, it's themselves to them. You know, they might yes. feel, uh, you know, they're being criticized. So even, mm-hmm. at, you know, for a 12th grader, they're still kids. I'm, I'm still a kid, too, and I'm in my 50s. Okay. Um, <laughs> they uh, They need that. Okay. Now, do you want your students' purpose in their writing to be to entertain, or do you want them to say something significant? Um, yeah, you know, I want them to aim for something significant. My philosophy is that something should be revealed about human nature, uh, about the world, um, some observation about society, about good or evil, or, you know, they like to write about God or faith or Christ. You know, it doesn't have to moralize, but um, let's face it, when it comes to the literature that lasts, you know, there's merit in what's being revealed um, that has made it last. When a student aims to put a character in a conflict with a resolution that satisfies it, it it's, I find, and they find, that, you know, it's almost hard to wind out, wind up with uh, without some sort of insight or emotional touch or something to say, you know, about this thing we call, you know, living. (laughs) That's, that's, that's well said. And we discussed quite a bit of regarding your, your students. And when we come back from this, this short break, we're going to get more into your, your personal writing. So after a short break, stay tuned. Uh, We'll be right back. Listening to Educate on TalkZone.com. Back to Jonathan Jefferson. Welcome back, back. Welcome back to the show and our discussion with our guest, guest Clifford Schrag Jr. Cliff, we discussed quite a bit about your teaching and about your students. But what sort of writing do you do personally? Um, I wish I could say I'm presently working on something. I'm not. I I have a dozen, 15 poems published, and as you had mentioned, um, I had two novels published, A Fruitful Field, back in 2000, out of print now, uh, but the newer one is Silas Dillon of Cary County. That's, uh, you know, that's been on the market for two years. Mm-hmm. Can you discuss the, uh, the plots, characters, and purpose behind Silas Dillon of Cary County? Um, yeah, um, the basic plot is um, you have this foster care child, and he's in this uh, typical, inflexible, bureaucratic foster care system, um, which outwardly represents the best interests of kids. Um, but in actuality, it, it hinders the main character, Silas Dillon who has a need to be adopted into a caring home. Um, I put him in this fictional uh, 80-square-mile suburban Cary Island. It's a prototype of uh, Staten Island. It's uh, set in New York Bay uh, with New Jersey on one side, the Atlantic and Brooklyn, as we know, on the other, with a population of 300,000, and it's supposed to be a typical 
county, uh, suburban county, where most foster kids reside. Mm-hmm. And um, as the system's, you know, paradoxical catering to Silas's mother's challenges are tried, you know, making her somewhat of a, a client rather than Silas himself, years of his precious childhood pass as he bounces from one home to another, totaling eight. Um, you know, he winds up lonely, damaged, fragile. He's biracial. Bounced through two attempts of uh, reuniting with his neglectfully abusive mother and, as I mentioned, all these foster homes, one which is severely abusive and two which are pretty much nurturing. Um, but we chronicle his uh, life from his birth to his late adolescence, and uh, we get all the painful and pleasant episodes of Silas Dillon's childhood, and we lead to uh, an anticipated rescue and healing. I open the story with a prologue which has him as an adult seated in his den telling, writing his his own story, so it, it eases the reader to know that, you know, the suspense is not built around, is he going to survive? He does, you know that from the beginning. Okay. So we want to see how he survives this through, mm-hmm. through the novel, to the epilogue. Okay. So yeah, that's um, that's pretty much the main character. He, one significant other character is Molly, his social worker, who works for him uh, for most of his life, but there's a real happy ending that involves her and her own uh, subplot experiences and I won't tell the end because I'm hoping listeners will buy it and want Absolutely. To <laughs> <laughs> now now if, if for those who are listening, you know, about 20 minutes ago they 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 would uh understand why I'm about to ask the next question because we we answered it in part earlier, but is your fiction writing expressive expressive of your real personal life in any way? Well, yeah, it is. You know, my wife and I, um, we adopted six kids. We had two biological and um, two, uh, I'm sorry, two are from the system here, from the foster care system. The other four are foreign adoptions. Uh, But we got so acquainted with foster care here and disheartened by it and in touch with so many other people involved with it that I felt I wanted to write this story uh, of uh, this created Silas Dillon, who's pretty much a composite of a lot of kids we met, including, you know, our own. So, um, yeah, it it extends from that. Um, Go ahead. Yeah, I know uh, earlier on, and I'm learning, you know, even in this, this, this short hour that, you know, we have together here with, with, with my listeners, you know, I'm learning a lot because early on in my intro, I mentioned that, you know, I personally don't feel I'm expert at creative writing, that I write primarily from my observations and experiences, but it sounds like you are, you've done something similar. Um, and it is actually quite creative. So I'm learning that, you know, just because I'm writing from, um, personal experiences and observations that are closer to nonfiction than fiction, it's still, in its own way, and you correct me if I'm wrong, uh, creative. Well, yeah, it, it can be creative um, either way. Um, sometimes we aim for the typical, and I think a lot of fiction writers do that when they want to you know, paint this picture of realism. 
um, maybe a real biography has a little more punch and power because it really happened. But mm-hmm. um, and in this case, um, I wanted to create the story. And, you know, he does come across likable. I think any main character in a novel has to. Uh, but I also, you know, don't hide the real um, effects of his, his uh, flaws that, you know, mm-hmm. we, we see it as, you know, he's like a wounded puppy. So he's, he's biting people. He's reacting. He needs a healing. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. Now, can you tell us something about your, your family life or other aspects of your personal life? Um, well, you know, I, uh, part of this obviously comes from me. I'm the writer. I'm the creator. And, um, you know, as a child, I, you know, I came from a pretty much dysfunctional family, maybe very dysfunctional. Um, so there's a lot of me in uh, the feeling there. Um, but, you know, aspects of my personal life, you know, as a kid, I I think my best subject was lunch. <laughs> after, that, after that, it was gym. But I did discover that I, I like to write creatively, and I, I feel like it was a, a bit of an extension of a, uh, a desire to escape, and it became, you know, a part of me. I liked it. Mm-hmm. And... Um, so I, I think that connection is definitely uh, evident there. Okay. Well, Cliff, Cliff, we have a couple of minutes left. Um, is that enough time for you to share a, a short reading from Silas Dillon of Cary County? Um, yeah, I'd love to do that. Okay, I'll, you're on. Uh, I'll take a little excerpt from Chapter 7, so called Cicadas, and here's a little picture of him ready to move from one home to another. It was when I was eight that I first had this incipient awareness of my distinction from other kids. At eight, I acquired that budding consciousness of shame about my situation, the mystery of my biological father and my birth mother, Maureen's, incompetence. I was a foster child. People all about me, at school, the agency, often referred to me that way. Sometimes I was called the foster kid in the neighborhood. In plain English, I was a bastard, begotten and born out of wedlock, illegitimate and worse. I guess eight is too early for a kid like me to think heavily about such things, but I did. I thought too much, and I knew a lot, too. Older kids in that neighborhood taught me things, and I understood very well. It was then at eight that I began to battle embarrassment. I wished I could say with truthfulness, my mother's dead, or even my mother doesn't want me, or my mother's sick and dying, than that she's a drug addict and incompetent. I always wished I could say that with truthfulness, that my dad was buried, or that he was sick and dying, or even that he was half nuts, a drug addict, incompetent, or drunk, than say, I'd rather not talk about my dad or say truthfully, I have no idea who my father is. There's an undeniably shameful, tactile stigma in having this kind of a messed up background in this part of the world. I understood rationally. It wasn't my fault, but it still attached itself with me. 
I was the one in it. I was ashamed of it. I felt oddly at fault, almost culpable. It was a passive, inexplicable sort of guilt. It was then when I was eight, just before school, third grade, beginning in September, about a year after I'd had that appalling dream of my messed up mother yanking my art stuff out of my hands, that Molly was assigned to come one Saturday morning take me reluctantly back to Mommy Maureen, my birth mother. Daddy and Mommy Sparks had been contesting this for a year. Yeah, Cliff, I'm going to have to stop you there. I'm sorry we ran out of time, but that was I can listen to that all day, actually. It was very good. Um, We have been speaking with Clifford Schrag, Jr., novelist, poet, essayist, English teacher, and former chaplain. Visit my show page on TalkZone.com and click on the creative writing episode to view a short video of Cliff's novel, Silas Dillon of Cary County. It's definitely worth the watch. Cliff, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. God bless. Same to you. That's all the time we have for today. Thank you for listening to Educate with Dr. Jefferson. Tune in next week as we continue to tackle the truth behind schoolhouse doors.